Hi, this is Sarah Bull, host of the Translation Mavens podcast. In this episode, the second full-length episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Nicole Namoto of Moji Magic Translations. Nicole doesn't call herself a translator. She refers to herself as a marketing specialist in transcreation. We get into exactly what that means at the beginning of the conversation. We also talk about her career path, which is very unique, starting from when she first decided she wanted to be a translator at age 12 and coming all the way up through many twists and turns to where she is now, working freelance both at home and on site a few days a week. In the conversation, we talk about the great decisions she made along the way and the things that were the biggest time wasters for her. She talks about some decisions that she made when she first went freelance that might be a little bit unusual and surprise some people, but that paid off for her. She also talks about what she loves about being a translator and how she's been able to change the way that she works to fit her lifestyle. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for coming on to the Translation Mavens podcast. Hi, Sarah. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. I can't wait to get talking to you. So (laughs) first of all, I have a question for you. I um, noticed that when we were talking, you don't usually describe yourself as a translator, but you describe yourself as a marketing specialist in transcreation. Now, I realize this is probably a pretty involved topic, but can you start off by just giving us a little bit of insight into what you mean when you say that? Okay. Um, All right. So my take is that translation is broken down into lots of different styles. So you've got your transliteration, which um, is basically going from your source text to your target text without any loss in content and pretty much verbatim. So it would suit suit um, genres like I'd say finance, uh, um, maybe IR, medical. Mm-hmm. Um, probably you'd do a lot of it in legal as well. Yep. Where creation is used a lot by um, advertising and marketing professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in It ensures that the intended impact or the emotion of your message is not lost in the translation and so you retain a lot of the original intent or nuances or tones Mm -hmm. that are in the source text Um, so as it suggests as the name suggests um, it's a creative rendition of the translation so you really need to be um, bringing out messaging or uh, word choices that resonate with your target audience um, that make a lot of sense to them and for advertising copy, um, you have to have that effective call to action so that it gets your target audience doing what you hope they right. do. Um, it, things like reflecting on your brand strategy or your messaging, your product benefits, or even if it's something like your character personality, um, need is it needs to be demonstrated in your word choices this is amazing it's so different (laughs) to the kind of work that I do so uh, let's take a step back and um and sort of 
go through your career path because I think it's really interesting and obviously you didn't jump straight to where you are now where you're doing this very particular kind of translation. So can you um, sort of walk us through the path that you had to translation okay. and then to specifically where you are in your translation career now? Okay. Um, I think um, my story is probably, you could say it's somewhat unique. Um, from the age of 12, I started learning Japanese in Australia back then. Um, our, my junior high school, Japanese and German were um, compulsory language mm -hmm. subjects. And so I um, first encountered it in grade yeah. eight. And um, I was just... Uh, mesmerized fell in love with it knew from the get-go that that's what I wanted I'm to guessing do. you didn't have the same um, reaction to German <laughs> not at <laughs> all <laughs> um, and so I studied Japanese for five years through to the end of high school mm -hmm. and then I, after that my my high school had a like a sister's school in Nagasaki so I, w I was offered a scholarship to go on a one-year exchange there um, I found myself you know at this all girls Catholic high school in a little town in Nagasaki prefecture. <laughs> when I got off the plane, you know, the five years of, of study didn't help me with the Nagasaki dialect. No, perhaps. I can imagine. <laughs> that <was> interesting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But this, I mean, this was back in the early nineties, so we didn't have email mm -hmm. or the internet and, you know, international phone calls were so expensive. So I was really immersed in, uh, the lifestyle they're staying with host families but from from right from the onset I knew that 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 uh, you know translation was what I wanted to do and I fell in love with Japan and every day I was learning something new and about not only the Japanese language but about English as right. well about myself and um, coming away from that year in Nagasaki I went started my undergraduate studies in Australia mm -hmm. And I did, um, I, I knew I just, I, I wanted to be involved uh, with Japanese. So I did um, a modernation studies mm -hmm. uh, bachelor's degree with a double major in Japanese. And I also did another BA, right. which was referred to as a double degree at that mm -hmm. stage in applied linguistics. Um, do you think you chose with, to do that because you had that goal of becoming a translator in mind? Yeah, I wanted to um, study linguistics, so I had a bit of um, an insight into things like language acquisition mm -hmm. and a bit of the, the academics behind, you know, behind yep. it all. And so then after um, uni? After uni, uh, in my last year of mm -hmm. uni, oh, no, so I graduated from uni and then after that I got a um, scholarship with a university in Japan, mm -hmm. in Saitama, and um, studied for another year there uh, where I also studied, continued on with the linguistics mm. and then um, graduated from my university in Australia. And then I was accepted on the JET program as a CIR. So I think that stands for the Coordinator of International Relations. Um, and I was posted in the Hiroshima City office in the international division and about 90% of my work was translation from Japanese to English. There was a team of about five or six wow. of us, um, four Japanese mm -hmm. ladies. 
and then two CIRs. Wow. So I feel like um, I didn't do JIT, but I know a lot of people who have, and I feel like the CIR position and particularly being allowed or being asked to um, do translation in the CIR position is kind of what a lot of people want, but they don't always get so lucky, right? So yeah. do you think it was why do you think that you were lucky enough to get that or was it not luck do you think it was your studies that you'd done until then um I think it was um a lot had to do with my studies and the interview mm -hmm. that we had to to um, be approved for the program um that was all in Japanese of course and I talked about um gosh yeah <laughs> I think I said something about the you know Japanese so oh, okay. like Nihon, Nihon no Kokoro right. or something like that and that that one <laughs> <my best>. so, <laughs> that sounds like it would be um, a bit of a winning phrase with the um, yeah international yeah. section of the city hall but I mean even at that at that point I think I knew that I um, was you know better at the creative um, genres mm. so I was more inclined to be able to be very observant read between the lines, pick up those really fine nuances that, um, you know, some people just don't, don't get, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and that helped yep. me. So that sounds like a great opportunity for someone straight out of uni. It was. I spent um, three years on the program. That's the maximum you can mm -hmm. spend uh, on the program. And I had the most amazing year. It was just a really fabulous springboard into my translation career right so but then you you went back to school again for more study after that right yeah well see you know I, I knew that I wanted to be a translator but I didn't really know how to go about getting my foot in the door and even after three years on jet I I wasn't really sure what mm -hmm. to do and then I heard about this um, master of arts in translation and Japanese translation and interpreting offered at the University of Queensland mm -hmm. um, and I just knew that that's what I had to do so I took the aptitude chess test and got in which kind of surprised me because it's back then it's pretty pretty hard course to get yes. into. <laughs> I also remember being <laughs> surprised when I got in. <laughs> yeah um, and that was back in 2000 mm -hmm. um, and I graduated at the end of 2002 mm -hmm. And I was really lucky to have a job. Uh, I'd been applying for jobs before I graduated and I had um, one lined up for me. That's great. Uh, at the beginning of the following year. So January 2000, right. a job in Tokyo wow. in a global advertising company. That's awesome. So when do you mind talking about how you came across that job? I mean, I understand things have uh, changed a lot since 2002, so maybe yeah, the channels yeah. that existed then don't exist now. Well, actually, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Oh, okay. um, I got the um, lead mm -hmm. through a former Magic graduate. Ah, I see. So the network starts to come into play. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. There's a, this is a continuing theme that you'll probably <laughs> um, pick up on through my talking about my journey but yeah that was um a introduction from a former 
Magic graduate mm-hmm. who was moving out of the position to move on somewhere right. else. And so I interviewed, I took some tests, I had a number of phone interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the position was mine. So a couple of weeks after graduation, I flew out to Tokyo and I ended up being with the agency for a total of 11 years. Wow. Yeah. And so that was an advertising agency? Uh, advertising and PR all rolled into one. So it was, um, and I was the only translator in house with a staff of about over the years, anywhere between 70 and, uh, you know, 70 to 100. Wow. People. So you must have been kept very busy. <laughs> it was busy. It sure was. And the advertising industry is very, everything is, you know, last minute, client changed their mind, the brief has been modified, mm. things like that. So it's all, um, you know, a lot of late uh, late nights, long hours, right? you know, all-nighters sometimes. But you must have liked it to stay there for 11 years. I did. <laughs> I did. It was fun, um, you know, and it was such a vast range of, of clients. You know, there was beverages, there was fashion, there was cosmetics, mm. um, automotive, um, you know, hospitality, hotels, airlines. It really um, set me up as an all-rounder. Mm. To my ears, it sounds so glamorous <laughs> compared oh, to really? legal translation. But did it feel glamorous at the time? Um, it had its ups, and, its ups <laughs> right. and downs. I mean, I can remember a lot of the, you know, all-nighters where you'd be preparing for a pitch and you'd be doing translating a 200-page deck, a PowerPoint deck in, you know, less than 24 right. hours and you wouldn't, you'd miss the last train home and you'd work through till the first train when you went home, had a shower, got changed and came straight back in for the oh pitch. Oh, my goodness. You know? <laughs> um, but, yeah, that buzz mm. and that sense of accomplishment when you win the pitch with your team, mm. um, it certainly kept you, kept me yeah, there. Yeah, right. Yeah, for a long time. But it was great because the, the position, um, it, I kind of transitioned with it. So at the end of the 11 years, for the last three years, I was – um, I was working remotely from home for three days a week, mm. um, for the advertising agency, but I was also, um, I went part-time. So I was also had a couple of days there to start building up my own freelance translation. That's business. great because uh, yeah, Which, a lot of in-house, um, jobs don't give that kind of opportunity, right? Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome that it worked out that way. And of course the, what triggered that, if my understanding is correct, is the fact that you became a mum, right? Or was um, it before then? It was before okay. that. But the plan was to become a mum, but that took a little bit more time than we mm-hmm. had expected. But, yeah, that was um, the yeah. idea. So I was able to my, – my translation journey, mm. um, career, was able to grow with me and my life stages. Yeah, and, that's great. Um, yeah, it's really worked out. Mm, because like for me and a lot of um, in-house translators I think we weren't allowed to take on freelance work while we were working in-house so it was like you quit your in-house position and then you start hustling like crazy (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that's Mm. true and and I was also because of you know I was there for so long and there's a great a huge turnover in staff in the agencies because people just you know, they get tired of that kind mm, of pace. They burn out, I guess. Um, 
Mm. Yeah. So a lot of people that I had worked with over the years had gone on to be on the client side rather than the agency side. So they were working directly with other major brands that we had, you know, had on retainer at the agency. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was getting introductions to other work Mm -hmm. um, through them. Um, So it really was, you know, just like almost an ideal right but you didn't stop there right so you were working part-time remotely uh, for the agency and building up your freelance business and you said Mm -hmm. you did that for three years right so yeah three years 2014 um, right around the time when my second daughter Mm -hmm. was born I went uh, 100% freelance Mm -hmm. and I did that for probably the first uh, for about three mm-hmm. years, hundred percent freelance working from home. Um, and that was good when my girls were small, because I mean, as you know, um, when they go into daycare as little yes. babies and they pick up all the bugs and germs and flus and viruses yes. that are under the sun. And so that um, allowed me the flexibility to deal with those kind of situations. Mm, where you suddenly get the phone call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're um, a little bit older. They're four and mm-hmm. seven. So um, second year primary school. Yep. Elementary school. So uh, and daycare uh, for the youngest. So I'm starting to get a little bit more of that freedom back. Right. And I've transitioned from I'm still 100% freelance, but I work now I work two, two days, sometimes more, depending on how busy things get on site for one of my clients. Right. And um, I won't ask you to say client names or anything, but can you give us a little bit of uh, an idea of what kind of job you're doing when you're not, when you're on site? Okay. For yeah. that client. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not able to yeah, name sure. names. Um, I'm bound by NDAs, mm-hmm. but um, for that one, it's um, I, I think the best word to describe it would be, an iconic kawaii. Right. Um, and so there are about four or 500 characters that all have their own little personalities, mm-hmm. their own little story. Uh, and That sounds um, it like looks, fun. It makes things interesting. Yeah, it's great. And the thing that I love about being on site, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't have when I was working at home, was that now I've got direct access to the designers who create the source mm. text. And so, um, especially with this kind of field, it's, there's a lot of ambiguities and a lot of things that, um, you need to know about who these little people mm-hmm. are and, um, it helps to be able to go and confirm things. So you're not just or... guessing on your own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it sounds like fun, but it, I mean, it's big business as well, right? So it's, it's serious stuff. I imagine sometimes there are difficult decisions involved and time pressures and all of that kind of yeah. stuff as well, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and the good thing about that, this position to this client is that it's not just, you know, writing your um, kawaii one mm-hmm. copy. Um, there are things like licensing agreements mm. and, um, you know, website content or competitions right. or um, in-store POP that need translation. What's POP? Um, 
police oh, there. Okay. So in in the store, like um, posters mm. and pamphlets and things. Okay. Like that. Wow. Um, so you mentioned about um, this idea of like how important it is to have or how helpful it is to have direct asset access to the designers or um mm. and you said something about that with um your other work as well right the work that you don't do on site the freelance work that you do so can you yeah. talk a little bit about um how you developed that freelance work and you know how it's changed over time oh, yeah. okay sure um so at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I'm sure this is the case with a lot of freelance translators that are just starting mm-hmm. out, I was working for 100% agencies right. um, and I would accept, you know, low, low rates. I would expe- accept things that were just, you know, a little bit out of my comfort mm-hmm. zone that really challenged me. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of us are forced right. to do that when we first started just to get our foot in the door. Sure. Um, so at the beginning I was 100% agents. Rates were not, they were probably on the lower end of my slim mm-hmm. scale. Um, and also it was hard to work through the agencies in this field for me because I, there were questions that arose or I would like clarification on some things or, you know, abstract artistic creative concepts that, um, you know, needed sure and you've I mean I it seems like maybe the coordinator wouldn't have had nearly as much sort of insight into that or knowledge as you would so you sort of have right. a middleman who doesn't know as much <laughs> getting in the way right and things things definitely get lost mm. in the in like communication there yeah yeah, yeah. So the the ultimate goal for me um, was to make that shift from 100% agency to 100% free, direct mm-hmm. clients. Um, and I think I did that within the, maybe the first four years of, of um, starting out. So back, um, it's kind of complicated, but even when I started out as a part-time mm-hmm. freelancer in, I think it was 2009, um, that's my start yeah, point. Yeah, so you started um, out with agencies and um, – you mentioned um, when we talked before recording that um, you did something which um, a lot of translators are sort of quick to, um, like, uh, to sort of say, oh, not that place or whatever, where you, yeah, oh, you yeah. created a <laughs> profile on prose, right? Prose.com. Yeah. Um, but so, you were glad yeah. you did that. So, yeah. Yes. I'd love to hear I know about that, that, you know, Pros definitely gets a lot of yeah. flack and a lot of shade from within translator forums these days. Um, but at the time, this is back in 2009, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, I really wasn't sure where to start out because I'd been in-house for And you years. weren't a JAT member at this stage, right? No, I wasn't a member mm-hmm. of JAT. I, there wasn't a Facebook group mm-hmm. back then. There was a mailing list, but, you know, that was really intimidating for, mm-hmm. you know, someone coming out of my own little yeah, bubble. Yeah, sure. The, um, and the JAT mailing um, list is only open to um, members, right? So that would have been the Honyaku mailing list, which can yes, be a right. mixed bag for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So what I did was um, uh, while I was 
um, you know, sending out trials to random agencies mm-hmm. and whatnot. I re- I put up a profile on mm-hmm. pros. Um, and this, I think now in retrospect, this turned out to be one of the best things that I had I did right. at the time because through my, through, I, I never actually got any signed up for any jobs on the pros boards. Um, mm-hmm. But through my pros profile, I was approached by a marketing director of um, a Tokyo based on global online platform for designers and artists. Wow. And um, they run, you know, dozens of um, design competitions each year and they have one um, global design competition mm-hmm. um, each year, which is really big. Yeah. Um, and not only did I secure that client, but that client then went on to introduce me to maybe five or six other direct clients in the creative industries. Wow. That's which, great. You know, was pure word of mouth mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it really worked out. So that's an interesting point, right? Um, I think you're right um, about pros getting a lot of flack and um, people really having a negative impression. Like you say, this was a while ago, but it's sort of an important distinction that you weren't bidding for some of those um, jobs that are advertised for really low rates and, um, you know, um, competing against people in maybe developing countries that could could survive on much lower rates, those kind of things. You just had a profile there and someone who maybe was looking for a translator with your kind of expertise found you there and found me and that's sort of the end of the pros part of that story right it just enabled almost almost yeah right (laughs) yeah um you know and I'm not saying that this would be that pros would be a good platform to Mm -hmm. sign up for now because this was you know almost 10 years ago and the landscape looks really different right Mm. now than it did back then. But I don't think it deserves all of the bad that it gets. And I think the, the main takeaway from that is that, you know, it really demonstrates that you need to put yourself out there for people to find. Sure. Sure. Um, And um, you know, another thing that came out of the signing up for pros was that it, um, it gave me access to a really good deal mm-hmm. on Trados. Uh-huh. A, um, they have group buys through the site. Right. And so, you know, so many people sign up for um, to, to, to buy into the group mm. buy and you get a really substantial discount on things like, you know, your software, translation software, memory software. Right. And so th- this is something I just want to um... – linger on for a minute because I think a lot of people will say hang on hang on didn't she say she does you know marketing and trans creation mm. what could she possibly need Trados for so obviously you can't use it to um, come up with these amazing sort of one-line solutions for copy or something but you do find it useful for certain types of work that you do right yes so not all of my work is you know the one-line mm-hmm. uh, copy advertising copy I do um, things like product brochures for cosmetics um, things like that I also do um, uh, the marketing and board of director minutes Uh, uh, not minutes um, board of director materials for a car manufacturer and things Mm -hmm. like that where you have that that 
uh, format each month um, and a lot, a huge glossary of, of uh, you know, in-house terminology. Right. Um, it helps me, uh, you know, I don't have to remember all of that. Stuff. Sure, sure. So, and, and, you know, back when I did the group buy, this was in, you know, around 2010, I have to admit that I didn't get a lot of use out mm-hmm. of it back then, but I did. It also gave me access through the buy um, and the purchase of Trados um, to free training sessions. So I had, you know, a couple right. of years to train, uh, brush up on how to use it, um, get familiar with all of the functions. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I had downtime, I would do that. Um, and then a few years later, um, you know, a couple of clients came along that um, really could benefit from the use of, of, of right so I'm using it now and I use it every month mm-hmm. and I probably have gained um you know earned back the investment that I spent hundreds over wow um mm-hmm. yeah I think which is that's a really good point that you made though right about um sort of making the investment in time and energy of sort of learning how to use those tools maybe when you're not under time pressure or deadlines or you know so much and then you've got that skill there when the opportunity comes along that allows you to really make the most of it Mm, that sounds like really what happened for you with Trados but you leapt on that opportunity to to purchase it at a good price when you could right yeah it made sense Mm, mm, it sense mm, that's great so um I have some more questions for you. I just think your career is so interesting. It's so different from mine. So um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is um, what's one of the things that you wished that you'd done sooner? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think I would hands down have to say join and engage in the Jack community. Oh, right. Well, you know, I'm fresh back from iJet. So I know. <laughs> I agree. I know. <laughs> Absolutely. I really wanted to be mm. there, um, but I had um, school events. Yeah, on, sure. Uh, Undokai for my youngest this, this past weekend, and I don't think she would have forgiven me if I'd Skipped taken that. off. Yeah, that. sure. Okay. I um, You should have heard me talking to all the um, younger translators and telling yeah. them how you know, now's the time to get involved in chat because you just yeah. never know when you're going to, you know, have kids um, that suddenly make it difficult to participate um, on the weekends maybe or going to evening events or maybe you, mm-hmm. something happens family-wise that means that you want to move back to your home country and you can't attend the events and, you know, right. all the um, young unattached or, you know, people that hadn't started families yet I was like now you need to get involved volunteer Um, but I mean also not only for people who have kids right you know but as a freelancer you kind of it can be very isolating work you know like you're working in your own office by yourself you've got deadlines looming Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to to get out but it's so great to be able to bounce ideas off other people and talk shop and yeah you know, resources, it's, I wish, I really wish I'd done it so Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I think I joined Jack pretty much straight out of Magic, but I must say, like, looking back, I wish I had been more 
actively involved yeah. like yeah. when it would have been easy to do that yes. and um yeah not sort of just hanging back and observing and occasionally going to events um I, yeah yeah. Um, yeah no it's not just about the joining you have to actually be a part of the community and engage in it that's, yes. that's the point I made you know I think when I first started started out as a freelancer I did join JAP but I didn't really get involved Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my membership lapsed and it took me a couple of years to find my way right 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 Um, yeah Mm. and so I mean yeah I always tell people who are sort of on the fence you know maybe thinking oh I don't know if I need chat yet or whatever I try and convince them by saying look you know it's it's Ichiman for the year and that will give you access to the what used to be the mailing list but is now the forums and the Mm -hmm. job board and also all of the archives so even if you are a bit sort of intimidated to go and participate in things you could start there but I think um Absolutely. yeah I think getting involved is when things really start to get um interesting yeah. and I think it's too it's good to to be just to when you first join just to sit back and yes observe yeah see what see what the landscape's all about and yeah for you know. sure um you uh, this is one of my pet peeves so people might have heard me talk about it before but I do um one of the reasons why I started this whole translation mavens thing is because I um I feel like it can be really intimidating to ask questions even in the forums or on the mailing list or in the translators facebook group um Absolutely. and I remember being told like given that advice at the beginning just don't post anything for the first six months just (laughs) watch and wait and I thought but I have so many questions be a lurker yeah that's just check it out yeah (laughs) but it is um like I I definitely agree with that wisdom but I also think it's a little bit sad I wish that people were a bit nicer to the newbies sometimes yeah but not even just the newbies I mean I remember being shot down a couple of times Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and you really do take it to heart yes um but I think the thing is just to you know keep personal yeah sure sure actually that relates to something else that came up before the recording we were talking about where I think I asked you uh, about um what had been sort of the biggest time waster in your career before and you You Mm. talked a little bit about this idea of sort of, you know, having self-doubt or feeling like doubting your own abilities. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before, you know, as a freelancer, Mm -hmm. when you're working for yourself and you might be, you know, a lot of clients don't take the time to say, thanks, you did a really great job. or I'm impressed with this. or I love how you've expressed this. Yeah, sure. Um. And so we don't get a lot of unsolicited positive feedback. And so it can be really easy even for people, you know, who are not newbies Mm -hmm. who um, sometimes feel that self-doubt ringing in or feel like you're, you know, that imposter syndrome that creeps in from time to time. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, this reflects back on both, you know, the, the forums mm-hmm. being feeling like you you deserve to be there and you have a value to contribute to that community yes 
Um, Even if sometimes people will um, suggest otherwise in the comments. <laughs> yeah. So I think that held me back mm -hmm. a lot, you know, um, things like whether um, accepting a job that maybe was a little bit out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. or something um, that I'd never done before, asking a question on a translation form mm -hmm. or turning up at a JAT event for the first time. Yes. Even like posting a response to another translator's comment on a mailing list or something like that, or justifying your choices to a client. Sure. Um, I think at some time or another, we all feel your question whether we've got what it takes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, I, I think if we didn't do that, I don't think we'd be good translators. Yeah, I have to agree. I think, um, yeah, every so often you'll come about somebody, uh, come across somebody who is amazingly confident in all of their opinions and um, you think that there's a little bit of room there for a bit more self-doubt but most of us definitely fall on the other end of the scale yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and that yeah you're right I think the only really cure for that uh, is to have a lot of interaction with other translators mm -hmm. and realize yeah. that you know it's not just you other people feel the same and then when you do talk about translation issues you get that kind of um validation that oh yeah that's mm -hmm. how I do that too or um, right. yeah or somebody says oh that's a good translation for that term or something mm -hmm. like that it, yeah There's... and that's what that's what I love about this translation maven's idea of yours because it's it's it serves as a platform for translators to talk shop to share mm. ideas to ask the questions that you know might be dumb questions well, well maybe but, <laughs> yeah they might be yeah um but not worrying about whether you know they'll be outed as you know that imposter <laughs> sure sure and that you know a lot of it comes from um my own sort of desire to hear more about how people work and what they do because even though I do go to a fair bit a fair few you know in-person translator events and I know a lot of translators personally and I do talk to them about their work a lot of the time that's happening in a social situation yeah. where the conversations are you know interrupted and you know um you can't really sort of drill down on the topics and be like, no, tell me more. Then, you know, what did yeah. you do after that? And how did Absolutely. this lead to that, lead to that next thing? And, and what yeah. was the good thing about that? So um, a lot of this is about my curiosity, but I also feel confident that I'm not, I'm not the only person that's interested in what people have to say about these things because everyone's perspective is so unique and their stories so are different. Yeah, there's a lot we can learn. So, mm. oh, that's great. I have um, I have a few more questions for you. Okay. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I wanted to sort of talk about, um, some people sort of don't recommend translation as a career, but can you tell us a little bit about why you like being a translator what you like about it and mm -hmm. perhaps expand on that into whether you would recommend it as a career for other people and if so like do you have any caveats or you know okay. oh yeah I think it'd be good if such and such or mm. Mm. um I would definitely recommend it as a career for mm -hmm. um I love how I have been able to my my translation career and journey has been able to adapt as my lifestyle has changed. Mm -hmm. 
and my life stages have changed. So when I was single in the big city and working in-house with the advertising agency and the long hours and the late nights and the looming deadlines and, you know, I learned volumes and I was able to do that because I was single. Right. And, you know, but I covered so much ground and Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun doing it. But then, you know, I got married and had kids and I was ready to move on to setting up shop for myself. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, being a freelancer and starting out and having that part-time remote and part-time freelance Mm. allowed me to do that, allowed me to do that at the beginning. Right. Um, And now I've got a little bit more freedom with the kids growing up. And so I, you know, have been able to make the shift to a hundred percent freelance. And I think, you know, I, I envisage down the track um, that when they're older, yep. that maybe I could go hundred percent in-house again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a, there's definitely a lot of flexibility, isn't there? I always think yeah. that when I see um, people who are at a different um, stage of their life, maybe than us who are traveling while they're translating as well. Well, I've done that too. I mean, not long term, but I've, you know, taken the kids to Australia for the summer and spent a month or five weeks there with my computer working Mm. um, while they're hanging out with their grandparents. Right. Yeah. That's become a lot harder to do now that I'm working on site for one of my clients, but. um, It's worth it though, right? Yeah, it's worth it. Mm, mm. That's interesting. And it, it is interesting to sort of contemplate how that might change in the future like you say as the kids get older Mm. Mm. so what kind of person do you or what kind of qualities do you think a good translator has like especially perhaps in your field of translation okay Um, I think there's probably a lot of crossover between even between your field and my field of legal but perhaps there's some that particularly in your field yeah yeah um, I think for someone who's in marketing uh, translation, mm-hmm. and especially in the creative fields like myself, I think it's really important to be observant and empathetic right? and to um, be able to put yourself in your target's shoes or your character's shoes and, mm. and feel all their feels and get their vibe and, mm. and the tone and the nuances that are all, you know, implicit. Right. Yeah. Um, I think too, it's great mm-hmm. to be have a curious mind and ask mm-hmm. all of the questions, even yep. if they seem like they're dumb questions at the time. Right. And another thing that I've learned is to trust your instinct. Like if something doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. or you you it feels clunky, or um, then usually it isn't right. Mm-hmm. And you need to go back and start breaking it down and seeing where you've gone wrong or right or where you could have done better you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think um and and I mean this is kind of a blanket qualities across the board but being flexible and approachable and just being a pleasant person to work with because people don't want to work with assholes <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> agree with you um, and it, it's sort of sad that we have to say that but uh, you know I do occasionally see people or come across people who are sort of like look it doesn't matter if I you know get along with you or not um mm. I I my work is good that should st- stand on its own it should yeah, be good enough it, no it doesn't no no and I imagine I mean 
in, in all fields, I think that's definitely true, but particularly in yours where the approach needs to be so collaborative and cooperative, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot yes. of, it seems like there's a lot of back and forth between the translator and the designer and yes. perhaps other people in the process as well, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you're if you're arrogant and self-centered and you just, you know, it's very hard to be empathetic and observant of other sure. people. Yeah, you know, in tune with with their feelings and and what's going on between the lines. I think. Yeah, you have to yeah. Be really receptive to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. Hmm. Wow. That's yeah. It's so great to hear all this stuff. I think it, it's interesting to me always when you have some really different types of translation, but the crossover is very yeah. obvious. Yes. Right. Mm. So, um, I think. That's about all that I really, you know, definitely had here that I wanted to cover with you. But is there something else that you wanted to bring up that I haven't asked you about? Um, There was just one thing and it's Mm -hmm. probably a nice nice place to end. But the the question that you had on the list about the best thing about being a translator. Ah, yep, yep. Yeah. So for me, I think it's um, seeing my work out there on products, in glossy brochures, in cyberspace, on T-shirts, in websites and train ads. And, you know, the also that accomplishment that I feel of coming up with that winning one-liner that ticks off all the boxes on a page long copywritten brief. Yeah, that sounds very satisfying. <laughs> I have to say when I um when I saw that when you said that about the um about seeing your work on products out in the world like in trains or something like I was like oh wow that sounds amazing yeah. because but obviously in my work that doesn't happen. doesn't happen but you know I mean there's a there's a there's a crossover there because I'm still bound by NDAs I can't say hey that's mine I sure, did that sure. but that inner sense warm fuzzy feeling that you get when you see it you know yeah it's yeah. there's nothing else like that I think yeah that's um, pretty cool yeah and mm. I think too there's one more thing that mm-hmm. is great about being a translator and it's having the flexibility to raise my girls and be mm. my own boss and also be a great role model for them too. Yeah, right. They see you working and they see you changing your, you know, career to fit with how you want your life to look, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty inspiring for them. Yeah. Mm, that is very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being our second person on the podcast. I know. It's an honour. <laughs> yeah. so, it's, it's really fun. And it if was people, fun, thanks want to follow up with you they can find you at moji magic on facebook right yes yeah excellent i mean we'll link to all of this and other things that we mentioned in the um, show notes for the podcast but um yeah if you want to seek nicole out you can find her on facebook at moji magic and also active in the jap forums and and the um and the translators group on facebook right Mm. That's right. Yeah, I do have a website, but it's it really needs an overhaul, which is mm-hmm. on my to-do list this year. So um, don't maybe, go looking for me there. <laughs> maybe check in later on in the year. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Thanks so much, Nicole. Oh, it was a pleasure, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Okay, great. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Translation Mavens podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and found it useful. A reminder that the show notes can be found on the website at translationmavens.com slash podcasts. If you would like to be notified about upcoming episodes, then you can follow our Translation Mavens Facebook page or you can subscribe via the website. We also have a new Translation Mavens closed group. So if you'd like to carry on the conversation or if you have other questions, feel free to start a conversation in that closed group. I'll put the link on the Translation Mavens Facebook page so that you can easily find the group. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Bye. Thank you.